Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in the prayer movement, in the nations. I thank you for what you've laid on the heart of leadership across the globe to fast and pray for Israel in the month of May. And I ask that you would bring a weight, bring a sobriety to what you have orchestrated just in the past week for this uh, church family, for the destiny of our city. And God, I pray right now that you would, through me, speak, and that you would begin to bring people into what you're doing in a greater level. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, I'm going to, I called Matt this morning. I said, I don't know how to even put this all together in a comprehensive way in a message. And so I just want to bring that before you. I don't know how to put this all together in a comprehensive way in one message. And so I'm not going to try. What I'm going to try to do is try to give you some puzzle pieces the kind of the outline, picture a puzzle piece, if you will, the outline of it, and you can see how that puzzle fits together, but the picture or the individual piece itself is going to be a tick blurry because we're not going to have time to bring that entire piece into clarity. But I want to give you all the pieces so you can see them coming together and begin to go, okay, I, all right, I don't get it all, but I can, I can see this greater picture. And so, uh, I also want to encourage you, like I felt the Lord just encourage my heart this morning, that all he's asking for at the, at the end of the day this morning is for you to go, I don't get it, but I say yes. I, I don't maybe resonate with it, but God, I, you're clearly doing this, I say yes, bring me into it, bring me greater understanding, help me, because I want to participate. And I think we're going to be able to bring more clarity in the weeks to come. So, as many of you know, we have a very unique prophetic history about Pagosa Springs being an area of refuge, a place of rest. Um, many of you have spoke of that. The Lord brought you here for that, um, that sort of thing. And we have a very unique prophetic history as well of the Lord bringing us into a unique um, identity as standing with Israel for God's purposes for them at the end of the age. And so I have had a week, gang, started on Sunday, unbeknownst to me what would all transpire in a week. Um, of, of God doing a major work to, to bring this, kind of all the stuff he spoke about, you can see pieces of it becoming very real, very quickly. And so here we go. What I want to first lay out is a biblical background for this. I don't want to just give you prophetic stories. I want to give you a, a, you know, a structure, a biblical background. You could say, okay, 
I see this in the word, and now the Lord's saying it prophetically. And now he's saying, I want you to contend in prayer like never before. That sort of thing. So, let's turn to the word real quickly. Um, Here in the first page of your notes, look at letter B. There's a five-fold strategy laid out in the scriptures concerning how God restores his chosen people back to himself when they go astray. So we see this across the board biblically. God stirs up persecution. He causes, so we're specifically talking about Israel. He stirs up persecution in the land. He brings Assyria. He brings Babylon. He brings the Romans. And he actually stirs up such persecution that they are dispersed out of their land. And then he he calls that the wilderness. He brings them into the wilderness. And then he provides for them there, supernaturally. He keeps them a culture. He keeps them a people. He cares for them. And he says, there's a time coming where I will... uh, In the wilderness, he restores their heart. He causes them to turn to him. And then they begin to ask for restoration. He brings them back into the land in peace and safety. This is a... Very, very common theme. Go ahead and flip the page. <laughs> page one, done. Now listen, I, I wanted to give you all these notes so that you would go home, like, please take the time to read through that, read the paragraphs, understand a little bit more of what I'm saying. Letter C, last day's indications. So we have a clear pattern of how God deals with his people in the past. And I believe we have just as much clarity concerning his future and ultimate eschatological or end times destiny for the dealing of his people that will cause the entire nation of Israel to be saved and to dwell in their land in peace and safety forever. All right, so now we're going to take, we have this biblical framework of how God deals with his people to bring them um, fully into his purposes, restore them to himself, bring them into the land forever. And now we're going to look at the, the end times or the last days when he's going to do this in a global way. So number one, persecution. There are multiple passages that speak clearly of a coming future time of worldwide persecution for the Jewish people. All right, I want to go through some verses here. Jeremiah 30. Let's look at this one. This prophesied time. Jeremiah 30, 7 through 10. Alas, for that day is great, so that there's none like it. Well, you could say, well, Justin, they've had persecution. They've been, you know, persecuted. And and what if these Bible verses that you're talking about are actually, have already been fulfilled, say, through Babylon or Assyria? Jeremiah says, there's a day of persecution coming. There's never a day like it in its scope, in its pressure. And there'll never be a day again like it. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a unique name for Israel there. But he shall be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, 
that I will use that time of Jacob's trouble to break his yoke from your neck, and I'll burst your bonds, and foreigners will no longer enslave them. So this, this persecution, enslaving uh, time that has just, has just been in Israel's history, because there's a time of Jacob's great trouble coming. There'll never be a time. But out of that, I will break this forever. It'll never happen again. And they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I'll raise up for them. Daniel 12.1, I believe, speaks of this time. Let's look at that passage real quick. And it's of note that Daniel 12 follows Daniel 11. There's a unique piece of revelation for you. Daniel 11 speaks of a time of this wicked leader who will actually go into Jerusalem and he will declare himself as God there and he will persecute the people out of that city and, um, and the Lord will actually give his people into that person's hand for a time. Let's just keep that in mind as we go to, to, to this. At that time, Daniel 1, Michael will stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there will be a time of trouble, such as never been since there was a nation in the earth, even to that time. So again, here we have this very significant, unmatched time in history. But at the end of it, your people will be delivered. All right, Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of this time. We're going to look at Matthew 24, verse 15. Now, in, in the context of Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking about his coming, about the events around his coming, various things like that. He's, out the, he's asked about the destruction of the temple and the restoration of Israel. This leads up to this talk he gives in Matthew 24. And he says this, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let him who reads understand. What he's doing is he's saying Daniel 11 was actually fulfilled partially by a real ruler who came in there and he set up, a to, uh, set up an idol in Jerusalem. He, he, um, he removed the people. And there was a great um, a, a supernatural work of the Lord. Israel fled into the mountains. And then a family named the Maccabees did this supernatural work. And they actually took their city back. They cleansed the temple. And now that's Jewish Hanukkah. Okay, so this is, he's, re, he's referring to something in the past, and this is really important, this Jewish audience, he goes, when you see the abomination of desolation, and he's talking to a whole group of people that are going, well, we already saw that. We celebrate Hanukkah. Like this is, we've already been there, and he goes, nope, when you see it in its fullness. That was only a picture. When you see it, there's going to be, and you can read, obviously there's so many passages about this specifically in the book of Revelation, that there will be an end times individual called the Antichrist who through, he, he embodies 
the persecution, the demonic, satanic effort to rid the earth of Israel, and he, he embodies it and stirs up the nations to kill Israel. He causes them to come to war against it. He sets up an idol in the temple, and I believe this is what Jesus is talking about, because when you see this, now look at how he brings it to, to Jerusalem. He says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go and take anything out. Let him who's in the field not go back and get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant, and woe to those who have nursing babies, and pray that your flight or your fleeing may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there'll be great tribulation, such has not been seen ever. Nor shall ever be seen again. Now he's so practical, he goes, if that time comes when you have a baby and you're in Jerusalem or it's on the Sabbath in Jerusalem, it will be hard for you to flee. How practical is that? Right? Because on the Sabbath in Israel, how many of you guys know everything's shut down? You, you can't flee. And he goes, you're going to see it again. And when you see it, that will mark a time of persecution that you'll have never experienced. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. <clears throat> well, that's the persecution. Number, so that's paragraph one. We're going to see this again, this, this historical Repetition of how God deals with his people. Number two, there's going to be a flight. There's going Through the persecution, Jewish people are going to be fleeing from Jerusalem, and they're going to flee into the nations. The scriptures speak of a fleeing that will be supernaturally aided by the Lord. All right, let's look at this. Ezekiel 20, I want to read that first. As I live, verse 33 through 37, as I live, says the Lord, surely with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the countries where you've been scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So he goes, he makes this statement, I will be the ruler over you. You will accept me as your king. He goes, when I do it, you're gonna, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you out from the places that I've scattered you, and that's the context of how I'm going to become forever your king. And he goes this, here's my plan. I'm going to cause you to go into the wilderness of the nations, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. There's that context that he brings them in, from persecution into this place, this foreign place. He kicks out every prop and he brings them so they, they have no place to go to. They're, they're desperate and needy. And he goes, in the wilderness, I'm going to encounter you there. And there I'm going to plead my case with you face to face. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness in the land of Egypt, so I'll plead my case with you. He references the 40 years in the wilderness before he brings in the promised land, which was what? Preparatory in causing them to lean fully upon them so he could bring them into the promised land, right? Forever. 
and I'll make you pass under the rod. And the idea is when they're in the wilderness and I'll bring you into the bond of covenant. Now notice it's the wilderness of the nations or some translations say the wilderness of the Gentiles. Now we have this cryptic kind of um, eschatological uh, symbolic chapter in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. And there's so much, you know, because it's kind of so symbolic, there's a lot of ideas about what it talks about. But what I think we can do here is we can, what I love about the Bible is the Bible interprets the Bible, right? So if we don't actually, we can say, okay, I have some ideas about some of these symbolic things, but if the wilderness is the nations, then maybe the wilderness is the nations when we read the word wilderness here, right? So keep that in mind. Revelation 12, 5 speaks of kind of this timeline of God, or Revelation chapter 12 speaks of this timeline of God dealing with Israel. And we're going to pick it up in verse 5. She, this woman, who's in this symbolic chapter here, there's a woman, she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. There's not a whole lot of guessing there. Who rules the nations with a rod of iron? Jesus. Like there's this, okay, we know who that is. The woman who gave birth to this child, who, who brought about the Messiah? Israel. Right? The promise is that this Messiah would come through a people. A seed would come from a people group, Israel. And you have more, you know, uh, context to it in the chapter itself. But this child was caught up to God and to his throne. Okay, well, Jesus was caught up into the heavens. He's now sitting on the throne in heaven. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there for 1,000 260 days, it's roughly three and a half years. And war broke out in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, and they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So we have this, Jesus is caught up, he's in heaven, and now the Lord's going to deal with the woman. He's going to actually allow the dragon to wage war upon her, and she's going to flee, all right? But when she flees, she's going to flee to a place that's already been prepared for her by the Lord to receive her. And war breaks out in heaven. What's that? Daniel 1. Michael will stand up, and he will wage war, and there will be a time of trouble for Israel like has never been seen before. Let's go ahead and scroll down. Now, when the dragon saw that he'd been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle where she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished or cared for for three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. Now, Ezekiel says, 
that there's a time of pressure. God says, I'm going to cause you to flee into the wilderness of the nations, but I'm going to care for you there. I'm going to plead my case with you there. I'm going to cause you to turn there so I can bring you back. Let's look at Ezekiel 11. Therefore I say, says the Lord, Ezekiel eleven sixteen. Although I have cast them afar off among the Gentiles. He's talking about Israel. I've I've driven them to every nation. And although I've scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries where they've gone. Well, here we have this same repetitious idea that when they're scattered to the wilderness, there's already going to be shelters or places that have been set up by the Lord to receive them. He goes, I'm I'm going to be a sanctuary for you there. And then I'll gather you back. Hosea 2. <clears throat> Hosea 2, verse 13 through 17. For the days are coming where I'm going to punish Israel. Because she's burned incense to the bales, and she's decked herself with earrings and jewelry. She's went after other lovers, but me she forgot. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I'll draw her into the wilderness. But there, I'm going to speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there. I'm going to provide food for them. I'm going to provide for her in that wilderness place, and I'm going to speak hope to her. And she will begin to sing there, as in the days of her youth, as in the day, gang, when she came up from Egypt. The same idea. In that wilderness place, she'll begin to turn, her song will become pure, and she'll begin to sing. And it shall be on that day that you will no longer uh, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me by master. Let's go ahead and move along to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 verse 1 through 3. This is unique. I really want to this one we need to learn more. Comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, this is an interesting passage because in Isaiah 40, it speaks of this message that's going to go forth in a certain place. Where's the place? Crying from where, gang? The wilderness. Where's the wilderness? Well, that's the place that he sent. That's the place they flee to. That's the place they are sent to. That place of voice is going to go forward. That's going to bring comfort to her. Well, that's that same thing we just read in Hosea. That there in the wilderness, that there's going to be a, 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 a provision and a hope given to her in the wilderness. A speaking of comfort from a voice that's going to cry out in the wilderness. Now, we know that John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, they said, who are you? And he goes, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. 
I'm the one. And then the people went to the wilderness. We know the story, right? They went out to the wilderness and heard John say, your Messiah is coming, repent. Turn, get ready. That was his message. Jesus tells us later, he was the voice crying in the wilderness, but there's an end times voice coming. There's a John the Baptist yet coming. And it's going to be a voice crying in the wilderness. That, and it'll be telling the people, the Jews, if you want to use that word, that there is coming a time that your warfare will end. Right? You've received the, the Lord's correction upon you and and, and we're, we're, we're crying out, turn, repent, so that the Lord can restore you because the time of his correction is over. I want to look at Luke 13, 35. Jesus does something here that's, that I think a lot of people miss. I know I missed it for years. Luke 13, 35 Jesus is correcting the, the leadership of Israel. Let's just call it that. Specifically, the religious leaders who of that day really were the leaders. So more than just the church leaders, they really were kind of the, the, the heads of state, I guess you want to say, um, of Israel. And he says, see, your house has left you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you that you will not see me. Until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now he quotes Psalm 118 there, I believe. And if you read that psalm, it's this time of great pressure. This time of, of great trouble that comes. And about a third of the way, or, or through the passage, they begin to repent. And then they begin to cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Lord brings refreshing. Now he quotes this to the leaders in Israel. And he says, you will not see me again. You've rejected me. Your house has left you desolate. You won't see me again until you say that I'm the Messiah. And when you say it, then I'll come. Then you'll see me again. So he ties, gang, he ties his return. How many of you guys are excited for the return of the Lord? He ties his return not to a vacuum. He ties his return to Israel as a nation saying, Jesus is the Messiah. And we want him to come. And he goes, when you say it, I'll come. Are you surprised then that there's a demonic effort to rid Israel from the face of the earth? We've seen it throughout history, right? The, the provision of the Lord, the, the onslaught of demonic pressure that has come against this people and the Lord preserving them is just this over and over and over thing. Acts 3, we see the, the disciples, they heal a man, 
and it gathers the leaders of Israel. And they, they, they preach the gospel to them. And then Peter says this, repent, therefore. Now, he's talking to the leaders of Israel. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who was preached to you before. Now, what I think is happening here is Peter and John understand this, that they're not going to see their Messiah again until Israel repents. And they say they heal this man, the city of Jerusalem gathers, the leaders are there, and he says, do you remember when he said, you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, I'll come. It's Jesus that healed this man. It's Jesus that's coming for your redemption. If you will cry out to him, he will come. And they don't do it. Romans 11. We'll pick it up in verse 11. Paul is talking about this dynamic of the Jewish people, Israel. He goes, my countrymen by blood, he says, have rejected the Messiah. And because of that, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And he goes, verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Because have they rejected their Messiah so that these promises that pertain to them, they've been, you know, they, they've been removed from those. They've been disinherited. He says, certainly not. How could God make a promise that it's going to be through Israel that he brings salvation to the whole earth? And the Lord just changes mind because they're not on his page. Because that's not how God works. He makes a promise and he does everything, you know, he, he goes, the, he, he comes and he gets you on his page. That's what he does. He's not a liar. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall, if their rejection of Messiah has brought riches to the Gentile nations have brought the Gentile nations into standing with the Lord so they can inherit eternal life as well. He says, how much more when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You think that what God is doing right now in the nations of the earth, that riches is something, just you wait. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I'll magnify my ministry. If by any means I might provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. He goes, I'm all for this, preaching to the Gentiles. I'm all for this. He goes, because the Lord in his wisdom has set up a plan. And the plan is this, that he will so move through his spirit the Gentiles to love and to walking in supernatural love and understanding of who Israel is, it'll actually provoke Israel to jealousy, and they'll turn. That's his plan. And he goes, 
I preach to the Gentiles so that they would come to the fullness of understanding of who they are so that my countrymen would get saved because that's the catalytic thing that brings the Lord back. And if they're being cast away is reconciling the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? The resurrection. It's the coming of Jesus. Life from the dead. It's the ending of the curse. It's, it's, you know, we've, we've talked about this for some weeks. The kingdom of God coming. And he goes into this, the branches and how the Gentiles boast, we don't need you, Israel. Just don't do that. Don't do that. Don't replace them. You have to understand that that they have a role to play. The Lord has not removed them from that, but you have a significant role, Gentile nations, to provoke them to jealousy. Here's how it works, Romans eleven twenty five. For I do not desire, brethren, you'd be ignorant of this mystery, of how God's gonna do it all, lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Now, there's been a lot of debate about what this actually means. But the word fullness is not numerical. It's speaking of a fullness of character, of love, of they've, they've entered into something where they've come to maturity. And he goes, there's going to be a maturity of the Gentiles. And when that happens, they're going to provoke Israel to jealousy. And then, look at the next verse. Then the deliverer will come. Let's look at 25 and 26. Yeah, we just read that. Okay. All right, so there's your snapshot. Again, I'm just giving you, here's the outline. Go study it. And we'll spend time on this. But I want you to understand, because there's a, there's a I don't know, there's a, there's a, that piece is unclear for a lot of people of how the Lord returns of, of that whole Gentile Israel peace. Prophetic history shortlist. I'm on page three now. <clears throat> we have a very unique prophetic history here. And this common theme keeps repeating itself. And so this little list here is nothing. I've got five, six pages. And I'm only going to hit a few of these because some of you know the prophetic history and we'll spend time talking about this more in the days to come. Let's look at a few of my favorites, I'll call it, because I have the mic so I can tell my favorites. 1992. I was 10 years old in 92. This church was not even in a place where they would even say, we believe in prophetic stuff. This church was not in a place where they would acknowledge Israel as a unique people before the Lord. Theologically, the church was Israel. That's where they were. And so, (laughs) how did they get this story? I don't know. I'll have to ask Pastor Al, because he's the one that gave it to me. But the story goes that there was a person in this church who had a friend. The friend was from Texas. And the friend 
went to Israel and, uh, and got back from Israel. And the person in this church calls their friend, let's say Betty is the Texan, and uh, the Pagosa person is, is uh, Johnny. So Johnny has moved to Pagosa. He's part of this church. He calls Betty in Texas. He said, Betty, hey, how was your trip? He said, oh, it was great. Israel's great. What about you guys? Well, we moved to this place called Pagosa Springs. We're here. It's great. Betty gets silent. And Betty says, what did you say? Johnny says, we, we moved to Pagosa Springs. This little town in the mountains, dirt streets in 92. Seriously, a lot of dirt streets in 92. And the lady goes, I've got to tell you this story. She goes, I was in Israel. I was invited to this prayer meeting. I go into this prayer meeting, and it's downstairs, and these all these people waving flags and praying and walking around. And they say they're, they're Messianic Jews. They're Jews who have come to faith in Jesus. And they says, for the last few months, the Lord has been speaking to them about a time of great persecution that's coming to Jerusalem, to their city. And he's giving them escape routes to get out, prophetically. They've got a map on the wall. And she's at this prayer meeting, she's looking at this map, she's hearing these stories, okay, you know. She's looking at the map, and she's drawn to this little pin that says Pagosa Springs, Colorado, on a map in a basement in Jerusalem in 92. One of the places that they're supposed to flee to. 2009, there's so many. I'm sorry there's big gaps in the, the time period, but there's a lot of stories about this. 2009, a guy is here visiting and he's on a ranch south of here a little ways. And he sees this angelic army, this host of angels. And he's a, he travels a lot and he speaks and he's seen things like this. But he's like, this army is significantly big. I don't know what goes through people's minds when they see it. But he goes, he asks the Lord, he's like, Lord, what is this? This army, I don't understand. What, I'm on this ranch in this tiny little town in Pagosa Springs. I'm, I don't even know why I'm here. And the Lord says that he's placed this angelic army over this region because of its destiny. That God has anointed. Restoration fellowship. So he comes to the church and tells, tells Pastor Al at the time, this is what the Lord said to be a hub over the city, and Pagosa to be a hub between the San Luis Valley and Cortez, and that God has placed you to be a safe place, a place of refuge, an underground railroad. The Lord stressed how important it was to prepare, that God was going to raise up Restoration Fellowship as forerunners. Where does that come from? There's only one place, a voice crying in the wilderness, Isaiah 40. Prepare the way. A strong and fervent friend of Israel and to Jews to help lead the church in their city to its destiny. July 30th, 2012, we had this visitor. This is a 
much more dramatic story than this. Much more dramatic. It got Mark Thompson to freak out. That's how dramatic it was. The Lord is, I'll tell that story later. We both freaked out. The Lord is preparing an underground railroad for persecuted Jews. So this guy comes and proclaims this to us. July 30th, 2012. Pagosa Springs is to be part of a network of areas of refuge. At the center of every area of refuge must be a prayer room. A place of prayer and fasting. A set apart uh, aspect. Uh, you know, a, a, this solid place of prayer and worship. Dedicated to personal intimacy with Jesus, the prayer room will be the place where the city receives insight from the Lord during a time of great crisis that is coming. And people will be in great need of emotional, spiritual, physical healing and rest. That speaks to so many things the Lord has done with us. July 18, we get a visitor, Dan Juster. When he came, I couldn't believe it because I kind of understood who he was, but a lot of us didn't really get it. When he came here, it was, it was actually kind of a non-event. We had a few people show up. But the significance of this man, I'll talk to it later. Dan Juster came, felt like he was supposed to come to Buosa Springs and teach and speak to us. And he's, in the, he's, he's speaking to us one night. He stops mid, and he's so not prophetic. He's not a dramatic guy. He's a, he's a real kind of, I would call him almost melancholy in a way. And he's preaching, and he stops mid-preaching. He goes, and he kept going, I don't know why the Lord sent me here. I, I came to Pagosa in this tiny little plane into Durango. I've never been in a smaller plane in my life. And he's a big guy. He's just like, I don't know why I'm here. And he stops and goes, I know why I'm here. He's mid-teaching. Because I know why I got on that little bitty plane. This church is uniquely called to be mature in their understanding of standing with Israel. And God has told us to come here, now he's speaking to himself, because you're going to hold forth something from this city and in the state of Colorado that is mature and balanced and has a connection to Israel in a way that's going to be helpful to many people. That's why I'm here. June 2019, uh, 2019 in June, a year later, Alan Hood was here. He's a, he's a major leader at IHOP, and uh, he said... I'm here in Colorado for such a time as this because I believe that Colorado has some kind of unique assignment to stand with Israel in the last days. I'll skip. You can read the rest of them on your own. And again, I have, I have many pages of this. You have these prophetic words that say we're going to be a part of that. Or at least this city will. I don't know if I'm going to be here, but, but I believe this, guys. I think it's biblical, and I, I think it's the Lord. And this Holy hush falls on the Zoom call, on a Zoom call. It's already kind of an awkward time, but there was, a, there was a clear, like, I'm like, is everybody muted? And one of the main guys goes, he goes, this is a moment. We need to take a minute here. And he goes, I feel like the Lord is speaking, that we're supposed to gather in Pagosa Springs in May. And I said, great, what, sounds cool, you know, there's, there's a few people on this call, he goes, we're actually supposed to get together, and as bizarre as it sounds, I feel like we're supposed to actually talk about how we could build an underground railroad. 
we could house people and how we would send them if there was persecution. And this guy is from Denver. He actually leads a big church there in Denver right next to the largest Jewish community in the state of Colorado. In fact, interestingly, you might find out that, that, that Denver holds the second largest uh, group of Jews in the U.S., and so he's there, and they're seeing persecution. There's a lot of graffiti. There's beatings that happen. There's things, they don't make the news. But there's things like that happening, and he goes, guys, I, I feel like the time is now. At least, let's at least start talking about it. And what if, we, what if we decide to pray first, do a prayer and fasting thing, because that's what the Lord said, if, if we're supposed to pray and fast and receive insight, and then let's strategize. And I said, Great. That sounds great. Like it sounds, I don't know what part you want me to play, and, but they feel like they're supposed to come to Pagosa, to restoration, to pray and fast because that's the place they're going to hear from the Lord of how to mobilize as a state. We can turn the recording back on. Uh, let's leave it off for just a second. The reason why I shut it off is not for the sake of drama. The reason why I shut it off is the Lord has been clear to us. He said it to us through prophetic voices. Don't talk about the Underground Railroad, about the areas of refuge and its practicals online. You're supposed to keep it hidden. So I'm just following that. I'm saying, okay, Lord, we'll keep it hidden. So let's go ahead and bring it. You can turn it on now. Well... The next day is Monday, and unbeknownst to me, Mike Bickle, how many of you guys are familiar with who that is? A little raise of hand if you know who that is. Mike Bickle calls an emergency meeting of 120 leaders. Some of them's on Zoom, some are there, and he goes, hey, the Lord has spoken clearly to me from December on. I've been hearing this, and he starts out the meeting by saying this. This is the most significant leadership meeting of my life. Mike Bigel's done some stuff. And he goes, this moment right here is the most sobering leadership meeting I've ever had in my life. And he goes, I actually bounced this off two or three people to say, am I being overly dramatic? And they said, no, this is the most significant leadership meeting of your life. And in this leadership meeting... Mike Bickle declared a global fast from May 7th to May 28th. This is a public knowledge. You can find it on YouTube. We'll, we'll, give you a, uh, we'll put a link on our Facebook for you guys to watch it. Because they, they actually released the video a few days ago. Well, what's happening, what makes it so significant is that the, they're feeling clearly from the Lord and he's talking to global, global uh, prayer leaders, intercessors, that we're supposed to, as a planet, as a globe, fast from May 7th to May 28th. And that specific fasting and prayer time, 24-7 prayer, IHOP has never done this. They've always stood with Israel, you know, on various messaging and had Israel prayer sets. But for 21 days, they're only going to do that. Day and night for 24-7, they're only going to pray for Israel. 
And they're gonna pray that the Lord would raise up intercessors. The Lord would raise up, that, that the Lord would save Israel. They're gonna pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And they're gonna pray for the Gentile nations to get a heart for Israel. They are calling for 100,000 intercessors during this time to join them. I think they're gonna get it pretty easily. And then the reason why it's so significant is that they know for a fact that on May 28th, on the culmination of this fast, 100 million intercessors are going to be praying for a straight day for Israel. Guys, the population of Colorado is 5 million. This, that has, this has never happened in history. And if we believe that God answers prayer, what do we believe has happened when a hundred million intercessors contend for 24 hours? It'll change the world. I mean, it'll change the globe. They're calling it the Isaiah 62 prayer meeting. I have a couple of friends who were invited to that private meeting. Now it's public. Like I say, we can show you guys the thing. They call me on Tuesday. So this is Monday. They call me on Tuesday and they say, the whole time Mike is speaking, the Lord's burning Pagosa Springs Restoration Fellowship on our hearts. You guys are supposed to know about this. You're supposed to be a part of this. There's something happening. I say, great. <laughs> Sounds good. I get a call the next day from a friend of mine, Jeremy Jacobs, who leads a an outreach ministry in Colorado Springs to the Jewish people, and he says, have you seen Mike's thing? I said, yeah, I just heard about it. He goes, you're not going to believe what's happening. I say, what? He says, you remember the Zoom call that we did on Sunday? I said, yeah, I remember it. He goes, it's gone out there somehow, even though it's this private. He goes, leaders are calling me and saying, that Zoom call, like, there's, I, I guess some of these leaders started talking to their leaders, or I don't know how it works, right? But the Lord has laid it on our hearts. As a state, we're supposed to fast and pray. Colorado has some unique assignment right now. And what do you think if we were to gather in Pagosa on May 7th, and we were to kick off a 21-day fast and have it culminate on the 28th somewhere in Denver, but do something significant as a state? I said, what are we, sure, I mean, what are we talking about? And he started naming the various leaders that have called him and said they're supposed to feel like they're supposed to do something significant. He called me back and he says, let's take a, can we take a few days and pray about this and let's have another Zoom call on Friday? This is Wednesday. I said, that sounds great. Well, a couple of days go by. I get on the Zoom call Friday morning. And these guys, a lot of the same guys are there. And they said, we are feeling strongly. We're supposed to gather in Pagosa Springs on May 7th, do a 12-hour vigil, prayer and fasting, nonstop prayer and worship, shut down church. These are all church leaders. And we're supposed to gather in Pagosa because there's something unique that Pagosa is supposed to be the catalyst, the place. The Lord's going to speak to us there, and he's going to fire us up, and we're going to go from there, and we're going to contend together as a state, and we're going to culminate on the 28th. 
How many of you guys have heard of Lou Engel? Okay, Lou Engel gathers stadiums. He's been doing it for a long time. And Lou Engel reached out to Jeremy and says, I feel like Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I'm going to call the intercessors there. Not, but that time I went, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. We will have an Asbury repeat like we're a town that cannot do a stadium. And uh, so I don't, I don't know where this is all going, honestly. But he goes, we're supposed to gather. And we're supposed to kick it off there. Now, what's interesting about this global fast is Lou had a dream. Imagine that. Lou never has dreams. He just mostly does all his ministry through dreams. Lou had a dream that he was supposed to do communion on the Temple Mount on the 28th in Jerusalem to, to, to end this. And I was just like, man... If the leaders in Jerusalem let you and all your charismania and the, you know, have communion on the Temple Mount steps, that's God. He says, we're going to do it. But there's something unique. It's supposed to start in Pagosa and go to Israel. And then I get a call. From Colorado Praise. Colorado Praise is a 24-7 prayer network. We cover the state 24-7 prayer. It involves multiple houses of prayers and churches that are praying for the state of Colorado. And this gal calls me and she says, hey, we want to be a part of this. She goes, I have 2,000 intercessors. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. She goes, what if we were to send delegates Every one of these prayer houses, every one of these churches send delegates to Pagosa on the 7th. We were to condemn together, and then we'll end it in Denver on the 28th. Lou will go do his thing on the Temple Mount. And at this point, I'm just like, whatever you want to do, God, right? Whatever you want to do. Uh, go ahead and come on up, Matt. So I'm going to say is this, and that's why, here's the most significant announcement I've ever made from the pulpit. Ready? God has chosen, for whatever reason, to use Restoration Fellowship in Pagosa Springs as the launching pad for the entire state of Colorado in partnership with a global fast to gather the nations to pray for Israel in such a way that's never been done in history. Let it sink in. I felt the Lord say, no one's going to be left out. He's saying, I don't even, I'm just 
hey, this is my first Sunday at Restoration. This is... <laughs> if you're sitting there going, I, I don't even know what to... Like, I don't even... I don't know if I resonate with the whole Israel. Th- I don't... I'm just saying the Lord is saying no one's going to be left out who wants to be a part. All you have to have is a yes in your face. I think the Lord is speaking. That's all I have right now. And I'm saying yes. God, I I love, I I reached out to our leaders on Wednesday, and I said, guys, we have to have an urgent meeting. I've never done that seven years. And I said, we have to have an urgent meeting. I've got to tell you so we can pray about this. And one of the guys responded and goes, put me in. I'm ready. I think that's the, the heart right now, guys. I don't. We have enough time to kind of process this, and I think we're going to get a lot more. We're looking at May 7th through the 28th, and I feel like there's supposed to be a, okay, Lord, I don't, know, I don't know what all this means or how, but I know I'm supposed to participate. I say, put me in. I think the kids will be back in here in a minute. So I just, I'm done. I'm just going to sit before the Lord and however. I, I just told Matt, I said, I just feel like we're supposed to just let us sit under the weight of the announcement of what God did in a week. You can't make this happen, guys. I, I, you can't. No announcements were made. No flyers went out. No, no, you know, God sovereignly spoke to the leadership of the state of Colorado and said this in a week. Lord, we say yes. You guys are great. Like, I say yes. Nobody is here by mistake. This isn't a excitement for the sake. Nobody's, this isn't a move of just human ingenuity and cool ideas. This isn't being brought about by some sort of an excitement. This is you sovereignly moving and inv- inviting us to respond. 